love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women Podcast. I'm Alyssa Gadeski here with my co-host, Haley Chura. Haley, you are, what, five weeks out from Ironman Coeur d'Alene? And um, how are you feeling right now? Do you have any kind of, this is probably like the thick of it, right? Like you're not tapering, you're probably doing some, a lot of hard work. So What's your mentality? Let's talk about the mental side of things, right? What's your mental side to get through these like tough Ironman build weeks? Because I know they can be very taxing. Yeah, I am definitely in it. I'm not someone who counts down necessarily the weeks and the days. I do have a few athletes racing Coeur d'Alene, so I count down their days and weeks, but I'm kind of able to disassociate from myself. Um, also I'm typically writing all their workouts and stuff before I know my own. I think I've talked about this before, but I'm like the kind of person that like, like I will see that I have a treadmill run and I see about how long it is. And then I get on the treadmill and I look at what the actual workout is like 10 seconds before I do the workout. Not maybe, maybe a little more than 10 seconds, but like, um, I, I don't really look ahead at my own workouts. Um, so I just kind of take each day one at a time. Um, I'm definitely in it. I'm getting to where I remember how hard Ironman training is, which is also a good reminder of how hard Ironman is. Um, I, it's weird how you forget. Like, it's just like one of those things where I'm like, oh, it's not that bad. And I do remember like, especially last year in Montremblant, like when I was racing and just on that run and I'm just like, wow, this is so hard. <laughs> and afterwards, I mean, it's why I almost didn't take the Kona slot because it's just, those races are really hard. They're really long. They're really fast. Like you're going as fast as you can for like nine plus hours. And so it's, it's a really hard thing. And, and the training kind of does match that. So now that I've reminded you that the time is coming closer and you're about five weeks out, do you, and you are, you are coached by Matthew Rose of Dynamo Multisport. So does Matthew typically give you like a Ironman prep workout that now you're like, oh, I bet this is like coming into my future probably pretty soon, even if I'm not looking ahead to see it. I don't actually, I'm not the kind of athlete who does camps or does Ironman real, like, um, Ironman simulation workout these days. I think in the past I did, but now, um, I'm just at a different point in my career and I'm a little bit older and I have a big, big base. And so it is more about just consistency day in, day out. And it's not really any specific big sessions. I mean, I've definitely had longer bike rides than I was doing earlier this year, which the nicer weather and longer days make those so much easier. And, um, I mean, there's certain sessions I'm, I'm doing a lot of stuff kind of similar to what I did last summer before Tremblant, I think, um, slightly different, but kind of similar because it seemed to work really well. And I, I probably do a lot more intensity now than I used to. And so it's just about more like taking care of myself in between sessions and, I kind of just take each day one at a time. And, um, I'd also add that, like, I, I don't know. I don't, I mean, I don't know if my plan is my plan isn't necessarily like right for everyone, but I know that I'm closer to the end of my racing career than the beginning. And so that's something I tell myself, I'm like, your life isn't always going to be like this. So like, yes, these sessions are really hard, but 
it probably, you only have a few more opportunities likely to have these kind of hard sessions and challenge yourself like this. And so I try to embrace that because I do know there'll be a time when I'm not doing this and I'm probably just spending my Sunday lounging. <laughs> what like, you, what do we believe. think normal people do on Sundays? Like lounge, maybe watch some football. What else? You what else? brunch. You get like some mimosas yeah. and like, Bloody Marys. <laughs> I mean, I guess I could do that too. It's just like, then I would have like some GI issues. Yeah, um, quite a run after that. <laughs> <laughs> I did a mimosa brunch mid-ride, but, um, no, I mean, I think that that's kind of a fun thing in life is that you have like different seasons and, and who knows, I'm not saying like, uh, you know, this is immediate, but I just, I know from just all of life, I feel like there's times like when I was a swimmer at Georgia and it felt like that would be the rest of my life and wow, it's been 15 years. Oh my so, gosh. Oh my gosh. Don't you know, so it, it is yeah. like one of those things where you just have to like kind of embrace the time that you're in and just, I, that's like when the going is hard and even just season wise, I know that this is a, a five week period when I'll be doing this and then, you know, I won't. And so it's not like I'm going to be doing these kind of same long sessions forever. Yeah. I have to yeah. remind myself that in the race too, sometimes. Cause you know how, like when you're out there on the run, especially, and it's just like, this is like where I live now on I know. this like stretch of highway with no sign of an aid station <laughs> dying. <laughs> and it is, it's like, especially Coeur d'Alene, which you have raced, you know, several times you've been on that run course. Like you could run it with your eyes closed and it's just like, you, you know what you're in for, you know? And like that far out section, yeah, <laughs> there's that's... no one out there. Like running up to that bridge is always like kind of fine. I feel like, and then you pass that bridge or like overpass or whatever that thing is that you run under and you're like, oh my gosh, I still have to go all the way till the end of this road basically. So yeah, it's, um, but it is, it's beautiful there. And you always get to pass the spot where Mike Twalsik jumped in the lake to cool off that one year. And um, remind yourself that you won't see jump why Last year, like, or I guess 2021, I mean, I remember talking about that or thinking about that. And I was like, I understand why he did that. Cause I am like, oh my gosh, it was so hot. But, um, you know, at least this race usually in the neighborhoods and stuff, it's pretty well supported with, um, people with hoses and stuff. So let's just like cross our fingers for no drought. So they are out there with their hoses to like save me, but also crossing my fingers that maybe it's not 103 this year, but it's gotten warm here in Bozeman, like very quickly. So I don't know what that means for quarter lane, but I'll be ready. I'll be ready for anything. And sometimes I think the the harder days do favor me a little bit. Cause I do think it, you know, the experience of having been there before helps and, um, and, and then, you know, just, uh, I don't know. I think sometimes like suffering brings out my best. I wish I wasn't like that, but you know, it kind of just happens that way. Well, that's, and that's where like Iron Man is fun because experience does matter like so much, right? Because so much of these long, hard things is mental and it's about patience and things like that and having the experience and doing it for years and years, right. Gives you that. So you can race differently and you can trust in that. And I think that you know, brings a lot of good. I had actually two athletes racing the keys 100 this past weekend. And, um, so it was like talking to people beforehand, you know, just, I mean, it's going to be a thousand degrees, right. In the Florida keys, I can't imagine keys, how running a hundred miles and it's like, no shade. Yeah. So like pre-race prep there is so much about just like, 
patience and trust and right. And like, they're newer to that. Right. So they don't know, but I'm like, you just have to trust me on this one because it is, it's something that you don't know until you experience it. So if you can listen to your coaches and kind of leapfrog that experience, did they finish? Did they both finish? Yeah. And Haley, I think the numbers on this were insane. I was tracking and watching the like DNFs list grow and grow. I think about 200 people started. They had about a hundred DNFs and um, and yeah, it was, but I will say, so Courtney, who I've coached for quite a while, she finished, I think like seventh overall. And, um, I want to say five of the top seven people, I could be wrong, but give or take five of the top seven people were women. Wow, and I think most, great. I think one woman was under 40, but the rest were like over 40 and 50. It was like, Really incredible. So again, to that point, right. That like experience does matter in these long, hard things. And it's, you know, sometimes it feels like you have been doing it forever and it's really hard, but that's a huge advantage, right? Yes. Yeah. So I just try to embrace that when I'm in those moments where I'm like, you know, on a stretch of road here that is hot and unshaded and feels miserable. And I'm like, why am I not just hanging out with cowboy in the shade? Drinking a mimosa. (laughs) (laughs) Those days will come. And also, I mean, once you're done, it it all ends, it all does end even that training session and even that race. And then there's usually time for mimosas afterwards. If you're, if your stomach can take it. (laughs) So, um, anyway, it's, there's been, there was some good racing this past weekend though. Did you catch any of it? I didn't catch too much of it because I was in the Adirondacks doing a little bit of adventure race training with the team I'm racing with in June. And so just not good service or really time to be, to be paying too much attention, but I caught a little bit of Chattanooga where Paula Finley, it seems like ran away with the win. Um, rode away with that win. She put down a really fast back bike split and then never really looked back. And, uh, but it was really exciting. I mean, everyone, the like next group all came in together and then there was just like a really exciting run race. I, I didn't catch all of it, but it was just looking at the splits afterwards. You're like, whoa, it was all so close, which was pretty cool. I think Danielle Lewis got ended up second, came up second and then uh Jeannie Metzler in third. So, fa- you know, fantastic racing. I think all the, you know, top 10 women there were just so, so close. And then, yeah, our very own Ella Natitian was mm-hmm. 20th. So she Congrats is taking off those, those boxes in her, her debut pro season, or I guess it's, I guess, well, I don't know when, I think she raised one race last year, but we can we'll just count keep... it. We'll count the Ella year. Her first like December full... to December. Yeah. <laughs> her first like full year as a pro triathlete, um, yeah. long course pro. I'm like, also there it's like, Oh, who's short course for a while. The short course count. I'm like, yeah. I feel sometimes like I'm like the commentators when they're like, Jeannie hasn't raced in 18 months. I'm like, she did two races last year. Are we just like not counting those? Like we only count it if she wins or podiums. Right. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. How about if, if we only do that for me, it's like, oh, great. I haven't raced in, you know, I was kidding. It's just like funny. I don't know. Those little things sometimes, um, annoy me, but that's okay. Cause I make mistakes too, which is why we have a reverse mailbag question this week. <laughs> we have yes. a mailbag answer. Yes. We have a mailbag answer. So thank you so much to Jordan Blanco for writing in and giving us some help with our confusion that we had last week about the WTS racing and the wait list. We talked about Gwen going to Yokohama and like waiting the wait list. And then we realized as we were discussing this, that we actually had no clue how like wait lists work. And 
like any of that. So Jordan is kind of um, in the scene and helped us figure it out. And so, well, she didn't help us figure it out. She told us how it works. So which is very helpful. And so that is, I'm trying to, um, I have it. Uh, I okay. Have you it. have it in front of you. Okay, good. I lost Yeah. It. Basically Jordan was saying that each country has a maximum of five starts per gender per race in these WTCS races. So these are the big races that athletes need to race to get points, to get those Olympic berths and, or just like get into the races that you can qualify for the Olympics. And so the wait list goes by rank, but if your country has maxed out its five spots, then you're at the bottom of the wait list. So Gwen was last on the list actually, when she went to Yokohama because her ranking is low because you know, she's taken seven years off, but also because USA had so many strong athletes. They had five, they'd already had, they had five athletes in that women's race. So I think she went, she went thinking, you know, in case, um, USA triathlon decided, uh, to swap out one of the five athletes or, or I'm sure if one of those five athletes, like if, you know, couldn't start for some reason, people get sick when they're traveling, get injured. Um, you know, Gwen was there and ready to, you know, I, and maybe in some of these things, when you're dealing with a national governing body, showing that initiative helps, but it's definitely, uh, it's, it's an interesting process and an interesting and seemingly expensive, uh, game to play. And so obviously didn't happen there for, for Gwen, but it does look like WTCS Cagliari is in Italy this weekend and on Saturday. And then Katie Zafir has announced that she will be racing. So she was, I believe like number six on that list. So she is able to get in someone from that, the five that raced in Yokohama are, is not racing. I'm not sure who, but, um, Katie will be able to, to race there. And, and then, uh, it, I guess next would be Gwen if someone else decided not to. So it's, it's fascinating. It's like, it's, it's very interesting. And, and Jordan did also talk about how, like there's, you know, there's different periods in the Olympic qualifying and Yokohama was a very uh, important one. It was the last race in this first period of Olympic qualifying. It was an Olympic distance, which I think carries more points. And so this race in Italy is the first race of the second period. And so it's a little bit different and that's why some of the athletes might not be racing. So it's, it's definitely going to be, it's interesting. I really, really admire, uh, the athletes who are involved in this because it's complicated and it's strategic in a way, but it also seems like it relies a little bit on luck, um, or, you know, the favor of your national governing body. And so it's, it's a challenging process rife with drama, which makes it fun for us as spectators, but as an athlete navigating it, I think it would be really, really stressful. So I I'm, you know, thankful and appreciative of the people who are, who are navigating that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks to Jordan for helping us with that. And hopefully Cagliari will be, um, not really bad weather. I feel like one of the other sporting events, the Giro that I like, haven't really been paying too much attention to, but seeing some noise in the background was that like really bad weather and Italy has been having some of the worst weather. I saw like a headline of the wettest Italy in a hundred years or something. So hopefully things can dry out a little bit before the racing to take place next weekend. And that doesn't, Oh my gosh. Uh, After Yokohama, could it be wetter? I know. Right. It's like, 
<sighs> so yeah, good I, luck. Um, yeah, we'll be we'll be watching and seeing how it all who starts, how it all plays out. And Jordan, please continue to keep us up to date on this confusing system. We do really appreciate it. I know as I was saying Alyssa before this, it kind of reminds me of the like point system qualifying for Kona that we had a few years ago and how it was like so difficult to explain to someone, but like when you're living it, it's like you kind of do understand the ever, you know, all the minutiae and, and hopefully I did an okay job summarizing it there. But I do think as fans, us kind of understanding this, like makes it more exciting, right? Because we understand that like maybe the difference between someone getting 11th and 12th like changes things or you know who gets into that Paris test event this August and could potentially you know get an Olympic berth and I just think it is really really exciting and adds to the drama if you're if you're willing to follow it so and and they usually do have really good coverage for for these WTCS events and um you you know I feel like my triathlon live subscription is worth it and yeah. <laughs> um, so I like I enjoy watching them and that was our reverse mailbag, but Haley, we do have a normal mailbag for the listeners this week. Um, you can always someone send in still, questions. Someone still trusts our expertise. Yeah. <laughs> send in questions anytime to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And this comes in from Lizzie and she's wondering our thoughts and opinions, which is like what we're most experts at giving thoughts and opinions um, on tri kits, one piece, two piece, sleeveless or sleeves. Um, thoughts and opinions. So I will say that I very rarely am racing in triathlon apparel these days, but, um, you know, I would always try and look at it from like, what is fast and then what is comfortable, kind of similar to like how I would fit my bike. Right. Like I'd take a look at what is out there, what the technology is saying is like fast. And then, um, you know, maybe experimenting with that. And then if it was comfortable, great. If it was going to make me actually slower because I was very uncomfortable, then I'd be like, all right, next option. Right. So that's similarly to how I would race. Um, and so I always went with two piece, um, arrow kit with like sleeved arrow sleeves. Um, and as I kind of, for reasons of speed, as well as just like I feel like as I got older, my shorts got longer. <laughs> so that was the thing too. Um, but in general, you know, people who go to wind tunnels to see that um, the testing shows like covering more skin versus having tank tops, you know, are, is technically faster, but then you see people like Emma Pallant, right? Holly Lawrence racing in a bathing suit and they're very fast, you know, and they are comfortable and fast in those outfits. So um, by all means, I would never tell them like not to be racing in that, right. Just for what the wind tunnel testing people might say. So I found the two piece to be convenient because it makes bathroom stops easy. It was just more like comfortable for me to run in. It was also more versatile. I like to do some running like trail running and stuff in aero tops and other activities. So it was nice to have those. Um, but that, but I also like a good tank top, you know, regular tank top shorts kit as well. Um, I can see the, the, the perks to everything. So depending on like the temperature you're racing in, all of that would come into play too. Um, so those are, that's probably the summary of my thoughts and opinions. What about you, Haley? Yeah. I mean, I think it's one so great that we have so many options now because we didn't, we, 
we did it. the sport yeah. not that long ago there were not that many options and I think I've told the story like I one of my early races one of my swim friends watched me and she was like it looks like you're wearing really tight basketball shorts and I always remember that <laughs> um but you know I for many years did a two-piece I think I did one really hot race once and that was where I wore a sports bra and I took the arrow sleeves off and it felt so amazing. I haven't gone back since <laughs> now I always run in a sports bra. And so that was like a big change. And then, um, I too would do two pieces just because I felt like I, you know, frequent porta potties enough that I liked that option. But this year I have gone to a one piece kit and I do really, really like that. And I, I mean, I just swimming it. Like I did, I would swim with the arrow top on before too, even with a swim skin. Um, because for some reason that feels okay to me, but for some reason running in sleeves feels hot and very constricting. I have really broad shoulders. And so I think that's part of it, but this year I've been racing in a one piece kit and I've really liked it. I do feel like it's faster on the bike just to have fewer seams and to have my arms covered, um, faster on the bike. It's also really good for sun protection. So if I think of like my early Kona days, I had horrific, horrific sunburns, um, no matter what, just because again, with more seams, you also get friction, which even there's no amount of sunscreen you can put on. That's not, you know, after so many hours out there that's still protecting you. So that's a really, really nice thing about more fabric as well. It's faster and you, uh, you are protected from the sun. And there are, there've been a lot of like advancements in fabric technology. And I do think some fabric now it has like copper in it and it helps like, uh, reflect the light, even if it's a dark color, which is just like fascinating to me. And so there are ways that to help keep you cooler. I do still pull down my one piece kit, um, to my waist and just tuck it in and run in a sports bra and, I just love how that feels. <laughs> so I just can't, my shoulders again, are like, they feel really constricted when I run in with sleeves. And I mean, even in day to day, like for me to run in long sleeves, it has to be pretty cold. And, um, I, you know, I just like how that feels. And then if I'm pouring water on myself, I like it being directly on my skin and maybe it's psychological, but you know, psycho psychology is a big part of racing. So that's what works for me. And then, Hey, it's also easy. If you do have to go to the porta potty, you can just get in there. Cause I don't, I mean, I guess there's some aerodynamic benefit on the run. I'm sure. But honestly, the, like the paces I'm running, I don't think I'm that concerned with like aerodynamics. Plus you watch like hundred meter sprinters and they're not wearing like aero suits. So no, I and they have like deal. fancy hair and jewelry and all of that. So it yeah. can't matter that much. Yeah. No, I don't think it's the same as like on the bike and even swimming, like having, you know, fewer wrinkles, all that. I think running comfort is everything I've never totally changed in an Ironman where I know you see some people do that. Like actually I did in my early days. I did did in my early days to running shorts and like a breezy tank top type of thing. Um, and it's like, I mean, honestly, especially if you're willing to get naked in the changing tent and like, just do it really fast. I mean, you can change like before someone puts a shoe on, you know, so you could definitely not lose any time change and be in whatever you're comfortable in. Um, to do the run. I mean, and sometimes for a hot race, like I've definitely considered doing that before because it is sometimes cooler just to feel like you're in breezy running clothes, you know? Um, right. Or kind of just so, like a refresh, like, okay, I don't know. I think there's, there has yeah. to be some value in that. And you do see some people. So I do think 
kind of going along with yours, it is, you have to think about what you're most comfortable in. Like there's not one right answer for everyone because there's, there is a comfort piece to it and a psychological piece. And again, luckily we have options. Yeah. Oh, the days with no options. That was rough, but thank you for the mailbag question, Lizzie. And again, iron women podcast at gmail.com. Send in the questions anytime. Yeah. And we have two interviews this week, which are very exciting, but they are related. Uh, this week we are, we're investigating name image and likeness deals. So NIL deals, and this is a new thing in NCAA athletics that has, uh, popped up over the last couple of years. I think California was the first state to pass a law, um, allowing athletes to make money, uh, you know, NCAA athletes to make money off of their name, image, and likeness. And a lot of other States have followed suit. And so now you have USA triathlon getting into the mix and USA triathlon's involvement in NCAA women's triathlon has kind of been unprecedented on all levels because national governing bodies don't usually get involved in NCAA sports, but initially they offered grants for new programs. They helped get that sport over that 40 team threshold. So it can become a fully fledged NCAA championship sport over the next couple of years. And assuming, you know, they are, they're hoping that this creates an Olympic pipeline for them with tons and tons of talent in the years to come. So USAT is going a step further now, and they started a name image and likeness collective, and it's called watch us thrive. And this is a way that NCAA triathletes can earn money while they're in college. So we talked to Paralympian Grace Norman, who has been a past Iron Woman guest. She joins us again today, but this time as an ambassador for this brand new program. She tells us about why USAT decided to start this NIL collective, how it hopes to help NCAA athletes and how all of us can contribute. So we'll have that conversation after the break. Hi, Grace. Welcome back to the Iron Woman podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we have you in a slightly different capacity this time because you are actually the ambassador for USA Triathlon's new name, image, and likeness, or NIL for short, collective, and it's called Watch Us Thrive. So can you help us understand what an NIL collective is? Yeah, so an NIL collective stands for name, image, and likeness. Basically, a student athlete in an NCAA sport gets a sponsorship deal from a brand, and it is a compensation for an action resulting in a brand promotion, such as a social media post or an appearance. Um, but there is a switch off of an athlete doing something for the brand and the brand in turn giving them compensation. Which is unique because I think when, when I was in college, um, even when you were in college, we couldn't make money. Like we could not make money off of our social media. Couldn't, I don't think you were even like necessarily allowed to like have any kind of job. And so this is a way that student athletes can, can make money while they're in college. Yeah, no, it's, I think is a really cool way for athletes to be able to make money because like you said, we, we couldn't even, you know, get prize money from a, a 5k we did on the weekend. You couldn't accept a $50 gift card to a, a shoe store. Um, so it's really neat that now athletes can capitalize on their collegiate level, um, sports. And I, th I think it's a, it's a really cool opportunity for athletes. And Grace, it's our understanding that it's actually like a little unusual for a national governing body like USA triathlon to create an NIL collective. So why has USAT gone and kind of made this effort? Yeah, I was I was really impressed with USA Triathlon. Um, 
Apparently, USA Triathlon is the first NGB national governing body to start an NIL collective. Um, they, they're doing this because they are committed to the, the development of women's sports and especially women's collegiate triathlon and the NCAA level. They want to be able to give fans of triathlon community the ability to directly support women's collegiate triathlon in the form of these NIL agreements. Um, and so they just, USA Triathlon is committed to the long-term development of women's collegiate triathlon at the NCAA level to become a championship sport. Right now it's a um, emerging sport. And so they want it to be able to have enough funding, have enough um, longevity in order to continue to be a championship sport for years to come. And so who is eligible to apply for support from the Watch Us Thrive NIL Collective? Yeah, so all women collegiate student athletes, a part of an NCAA women's triathlon team, um, are allowed to apply for this. They they must be U.S. citizens um, because international athletes have a few different restrictions um, as far as earning money at collegiate level. But if, as long as you are a U.S. citizen and you are on a women's collegiate triathlon team for NCAA, you're eligible to apply. And do you have any idea about when an athlete's accepted, what those obligations are going to look like for them? Yeah. So it'll kind of look like a lot of social media promotion. I'm not sure of how many social media posts there will be, but uh, USA Triathlon has outlined that there will be a few different promotional social media posts and um, they will need to provide proof of those different posts that they have done throughout the semester. Um, and then in turn, we'll get their compensation at the end of the fall and spring semesters. And do you know what kind of compensation athletes can expect to receive? I don't know that. Um, I know it'll be monetarily. I don't know the amounts yet, but um, as far as compensation, it will be, yeah, I, I don't know that question. Maybe not. Better than zero. Better yeah. than zero. <laughs> Which is uh, what I got. <laughs> so, um, you know, anything, anything helps when you're a, a student. Um, and this, uh, this inaugural Watch Us Thrive application process, we understand that it has been, a, you know, slightly delayed. Um, but can you tell us like what, uh, when the applications are open, who should be applying? Yeah, so this inaugural class of the NIL Collective, um, if you want to apply, I, for me, it's the whole part of this collective is to further women's triathlon and collegiate triathlon specifically. So if you have a passion for the continuing sport of women's collegiate triathlon, please apply. If you want more funds in order to be able to race more different places, get better equipment um, in order just to continue to further the movement of women's collegiate triathlon, please apply. We need more spokespersons, more people to promote women's triathlon, especially at the collegiate level so we can get this to a long-standing championship sport. And Grace, you yourself competed as an NCAA track and cross-country athlete at Cedarville University. And if the NIL rules and collectives like Watch Us Thrive had existed when you were a student, do you think it would have impacted your Paralympic and professional triathlon career? I mean, it sounds like 
just, you know, hearing you and Haley joke about being able to like at least accept the gift card for a free pair of running shoes or something, right? It's like, that would have been nice, I'm sure. But, you know, on a higher level too, do you think it would have had kind of a ripple effect as you went beyond, like into your the next level of your career? Yeah, 100%. Um, I think starting off at a collegiate level, it's already high high level athletics um, and not being able to promote your brand yourself um, in a way that you are compensated can be difficult. I think it will help these athletes learn how to promote their causes themselves in a way that will continue to help them grow into professional athletes and take that post-college. I think it also helps enter them into the world of deals and sponsorships and learning how to work with brands and how to work with themselves on a brand level. Um, And so I think for me, it would have been a really cool teaching moment Um, in college. You know, you're, you're developing, you're becoming who you're setting your your groundwork um, for the rest of your life. And so, and and that can be in athletics and sponsorship deals, NIL deals. Um, I think it's, it's a really cool opportunity, but yeah, I think it would have been a very, a a cool kind of, um, stepping stone in my athletic career, my, um, post-college career would have been, would have been really, really cool. And it would have definitely helped with the expenses of travel and everything that involves, especially in triathlon. Um, I didn't compete uh, at an NCAA level in triathlon, but knowing that at the professional level, it's still expensive. Um, I can only imagine how it is in college. Yeah. I feel like, Oh, sorry, but no, I'm yeah. just thinking about buying goggles. How that was like so such a stress when I was in college because we had a lot of things provided, but certain things aren't. Wait, like, they didn't we, provide you with goggles? No, we had to buy our own goggles. That's crazy to me. Okay. I would well, anyway, I was just thinking that, you know, I mean, like with this podcast, one of the reasons we started it, right, was to give women opportunities in media. But I think one of the things that's always surprised Haley and I as we talk to, you know, women in the sport just starting out is that they haven't like had practice kind of speaking in public, finding their voice, like really just being able to articulate some of their platforms and just their stories. Right. And I think this is a really fun way and like a low pressure way, but there's a return on it too, which is like an extra bonus, but like social media, you know, is a, is a fun way for people, women in college to experiment with what their platform will be, what their voice is and find that and like, just have a accelerated place. Like if they do go into sport beyond college, like that's huge. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a great way for them to practice you know, creativity, um, finding, like you said, finding their voice, kind of shaping who they are and who they will be post-college. Um, so yeah, I think and with the compensation, I mean, you can't, <laughs> that's, that's pretty great. Goggles for everyone. There we go. <laughs> I'm excited for the future. Uh, I think Watch Us Thrive is donor funded through the USAT Foundation, which means our listeners can make a tax deductible donation to help fund this collective. So if someone is listening and they want to donate, where should they do that? Um, I believe you are able just to go to USA triathlon foundation, um, org and there, I don't, I actually don't know. I think it's there. Yeah, there is a, we'll make sure we include the link in our show okay. notes because okay. it is yeah. a pretty, um, pretty easy little, like click on this donate. Pick okay. Your yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a, um, a watch us thrive collective, uh, donation and, um, it, it makes it very easy. You can either click the, uh, 
the pre, you know, 50, 100, 200, or you can put your, your um, selected amount, but the, yeah, the donations are tax deductible and it goes directly towards furthering the women's uh, collegiate triathlon. And Grace, since we last talked to you, you won a silver medal at the Tokyo Paralympic Games. You won your third world championship just last year. And most recently, we saw you race and win at the Super League Arena Games in London. So how is 2023 shaping up for you? And are you focused on the Paris Paralympic Games next year? Yeah, so it's been um, a fun few years. Uh, Last season was very successful. Um, it was a lot of fun. I had a, com- a complete un- undefeated season, which was pretty phenomenal. Um, taking my third world title, um, going into this year, we, yeah, are taking the big goal is qualifying for the Paris Paralympic games next year. Um, it's more of a back ended season, um, for me with a lot of racing in the, in the back half. So, um, racing really won't pick up until July for me. Um, I had a few openers. I had one in Sarasota for our Conti championships. And then I did, um, just, I went to a uh, super league in, in London and had some fun with their, their second ever para, uh, division race. Um, very strange, fun race. Um, but yeah, this year, um, I'll be at a few world series events later in July, uh, at Montreal and Swansea. And then, uh, the Paris test event this year, which will be really, really cool to be able to see the course, which they just released the course, um, for the Olympic and Paralympic games, um, and then finish it up at world championships. So it'll be a fun, quick season, but, um, yeah, the goal is to qualify for Paris this year. Um, if not, definitely solidify my spot, um, following March and yeah, we are definitely looking at Paris 2024. Have you had a chance to really examine the course? What are, were there any surprises or anything like that? No, I, I haven't really looked at it quite yet. I, I looked at the, uh, just the outline of it and kind of how many laps I think it's a five lap bike course, a two lap run course. Um, and I believe there are two different transition zones. So that stood out to me where in the past games and most races, we have just one transition zone. Um, so it'll be a little technical with uh, the timing, but, um, it'll make it fun. And apparently it's, you know, along beautiful river, I believe. And so, uh, I'm excited to kind of check it out this year. It's like, right, right there, like in the middle of Paris. Right. I mean, it's like very urban. Yeah. That's, that's what I've heard. I, I want to like Google map it and kind of see all of the, (laughs) like what we're going to be seeing, but yeah, very excited for that. I can't, I mean, I don't know Paris. I've never been there, but I'm like, I just can't wait for the photos of like people yeah. racing and like Eiffel tower in the background. I don't know if that logistically, I have not looked at the map closely either. And I don't know the layout of Paris, but that's what that's my picture. <laughs> it's just like all these historic markers and, um, you know, you racing by them, but Grace, thank you so much for telling us more about the NIL collective. We're excited about USAT's involvement in NCAA triathlon. We're excited about your involvement as an ambassador. Thank you for being an ambassador. And we will also be cheering for you on that path to Paris. Uh, <laughs> I like, sorry, I like a little alliteration, but we're very, very excited about those, those upcoming games and your 2023 season. So thank you again. Well, thank you so much. So at the time of this recording, it looks like the NIL applications are 
not yet available, but we'll keep an eye out on that and try to alert everyone in case we have any current or aspiring NCAA athletes who want to apply for that Watch Us Thrive Collective. And in the meantime, you can find the link to donate to the NIL Collective in our show notes. Now, our second interview is uh, along these lines of NIL deals and NCAA NCAA triathlon and how they're both relatively new and growing together. And I did a little digging and I was able to find an NCAA athlete with an NIL deal, uh, NCAA women's triathlete with an NIL deal. It's a little, um, it was harder than I expected. I, but uh, again, both things are quite new. So Kennedy Calcogno is just wrapping up her freshman year at Texas Christian university, which will make their much anticipated NCAA women's triathlon debut this fall. So this year, Kennedy and the rest of the team actually did a practice season. And during that time, she took classes, which included a class specifically about NIL deals. So Kennedy tells us about her class, how she landed her first NIL deal and what kind of work was involved with fulfilling her duties with that. And, you know, what kind of dream brands she'd love to work with. We'll have that conversation with Kennedy next. Hi, Kennedy. Welcome to the Ironman podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So I believe you're currently finishing up your freshman year at TCU. And while we're all kind of learning as we go with NIL deals for NCAA athletes, you have actually received or, you know, inked, I don't know what you, what the terminology even is an NIL deal. And you've taken a college business school class on NIL deals. So we're so excited to chat with you. I know this is sort of a broad question to start with, but can you tell us about, about your class? Yeah, so it's um, a class in the business school, mainly um, dedicated like for athletes. Anyone can take it, but the class is ma- mainly athletes. And it just kind of teaches us like the history kind of of NIL and like how it came to be, what NIL is, how it like applies to us and how we can implement it. And it's really cool because like since the NIL world is changing every day, we get like live updates and news about current NIL. So I think it's been really helpful. Was there anything surprising from the class that, you know, you learned and you sh- maybe shared with your teammates? Um, I think what was surprising was that like, while like NIL has like in the past been like tailored towards like main um, revenue generating sports, like football and basketball, specifically like men's sports. Now, I mean, obviously it still is tailored toward them, but the class kind of taught me that there are still ways for non-revenue generating sports to monetize off of their NIL and grow their brand. Yeah. And so I do, we do want to talk to you about your deal specifically too. So how did you get an NIL deal? Did you use an agent? Did the company approach you? Like, what is that process like? So what I did, I mean, I've done a few different things, like in order to try to get NIL deals and um, the one that I ended up getting was through, an, like, I guess you could say it's an agency. It's called 98 Strong. It's like, um, I just like put in my information and then it like will text me if like brands are interested. So that's how I got the one that I have. But also I've been like reaching out to brands on my own. So that's like another avenue to go about doing it. Did the class what- help you kind of like, you know, it seems daunting to be like, 
knowing the landscape of like what to ask for and things like that, did the class kind of expose like and help with the transparency side of like what to expect and what the deals should really look like? Yeah. So the class kind of talks about like what like it like helps us decide what we have to offer and like what our goals are and then like how we want to approach NAL because like there are different like types of deals you can make depending on like where you stand. So it kind of taught us about that. And then like also I think another thing that helped is like that I'm surrounded by athletes in the class as well as athletes who have like maybe taken the class. So kind of just learning from them and what they've done has also helped me to know like different avenues I can take. And sorry, I have one more question because this is all fascinating to me. <laughs> when, and when you say like, depending on where you stand, are you meaning like in terms of social media following or in terms of yeah. like where you are? Okay. So more social media yeah. versus like social media like, itself that you do. Yeah. Social media and just kind of like following and like follower engagement, stuff like that. So, I mean, there's like a spectrum of course. Sure. Okay. You Were are. you a pretty prolific social media uh, poster before this or not, has it required really. more of you? Yeah, it kind of, I mean, I didn't really post a lot and like Instagram, I still like, I don't use a crazy amount. Like I'm always on it, but like, it really helped me like to like encourage me to like post more on TikTok and stuff and kind of show like insiders to like what a day in the life would look like, or just like like different like things about like TCU triathlon. So it definitely encouraged me to post more and be more engaged and involved on social media. I am curious how much like time and effort is required of you. Um, are you, are you like scheduling photo shoots in between classes and practice? Uh, not really, not right now, just cause like the NIL deal I have, it was just kind of, it was like pretty simple what I had to do. And um, it's not like contingent that one. So honestly, not really. Most of my time like that I'll be spending on social media is more just like things I want to make and I want to post. So I obviously spend time on it, but it's kind of when I have free time and whenever I want to. And triathlon is obviously, it can be a pretty expensive sport with a lot of gear that goes along with it. And for a college student, that can be pretty daunting. So do you think like NIL deal support makes it easier for you and teammates to pursue triathlon. Is that like, oh, you know, yes, definitely. Helpful? I okay. mean, it's super expensive. And like here we have like a lot of great resources, but there are still other expenses that like we are paying for. And so like any NIL money definitely helps. Do you have any dream brands that you'd love to work with? I mean, in the future, I'd love to work with like maybe some type of athletic wear clothing brand like Athleta or something, or even like a jewelry brand like Kendra Scott, or also like um, healthy like foods or drinks, like an acai bowl place or like a kombucha brand or something. I love it. You never know who's listening to the Iron Man. Yeah, exactly. Um, and USA triathlon is launching the watch us thrive NIL collective, and it's taking applications in the coming months. So do you plan to apply? Yes, definitely. I didn't know this was an opportunity available, but I'm actually really excited about it because I didn't really know that USA triathlon was doing a collective and we learned about collectives in our class and they like, it's basically like collectives usually go towards at like my school, at least towards like football, basketball, and like a few top like 
women's athletes in their in like money generating sports. So I'm definitely excited to be able to apply to a USAT collective. Can you help us understand what the difference is between a collective and an individual NIL deal? Because I, I'm not totally clear on that. Yeah. So there are actually four different types of NIL deals. So collectives, it's a it's basically a pool pool of funds from donors and boosters that like basically gets distributed somewhat among the athletes. And it's not like pay for play, but it's just like, I don't know, funding. And like athletes would do something in exchange for it, like something that the collective wants probably. And then a brand deal is something that people with a lot of following have. So that's like the top athletes that you're seeing on social media getting um, like brand deals with top um, top companies. And then the other one, PR brand deal, that's more like smaller brand deals for people with less of a following. And like, so it impacts both the student athlete and the brand. And those typically occur with like the, like a lot of PR brand deals. Like a company will do a lot of small ones because it's not costing them that much, but they're getting a lot of exposure through it. And then the other type is an entrepreneur deal. And it's like, that the athlete itself has the opportunity to be an entrepreneur for themselves, maybe by starting their own clothing company or selling trading cards with their NIL on. So those are the four. Wow. Okay. That definitely helped clear a lot up in my mind. So thank you yeah. for giving us that like mini brief there. And um, you made history as TCU's first women's triathlon signee. And I think you're just finishing a practice season ahead of TCU's planned inaugural season in fall 2023. So what made you decide to race triathlon at TCU? So I've been doing triathlon since I was six, and I've always loved the sport. I was on a club team throughout high school. It wasn't with my club. It was just in the, or it wasn't with my high school. It was just in the area. So I definitely knew I wanted to pursue it in college. The question was where? And I had heard that TCU would be getting a program, but when I was doing my college search during junior and senior year, TCU still didn't have a coach. So I didn't really think that was a possibility. And it wasn't until November that I heard one of my club coaches, he had got the job as the assistant coach. So my club coach was coming here. And then also uh, the head coach had already been coaching with the club coach and her daughter's actually on my club team. So I was already familiar with the co- coaches. So with like me already wanting to go to TCU and I had already applied there and then they got the job opportunity here. It was kind of like a done deal. And so what does it look like with this practice season ahead of your first competitive season? So basically our team is mostly all freshmen. We have a junior transfer, but besides that, we're all freshmen and We've been training together all year as if we were going to be racing. So we've been in full 20-hour weeks in the fall and the spring. And the fall, we didn't do any racing. In the spring, a few of my teammates did races, um, not for TCU, just for either their country or their club team. So, yeah, it's been actually really good to, like, get close with the team and get used to the training schedule, like fit in it, fitting in with the college lifestyle and like classes and everything. 
has it like, how has it matched your expectations of what, you know, having done triathlon as a child, since you were six, like, does it fit in pretty seamlessly with your college lifestyle or is it like a lot to juggle with three sports? I mean, it's definitely a lot to juggle, but our coaches and the staff have made it so easy to make the transition. So we were able to get all of our workouts done in the morning and we do them all together with our coaches, of course. And so with that and then all of the academic advisors and like tutoring that they provide for us here, we were set up for success with school as well as athletics. And how did things look uh, heading into the summer and then that fall season of racing in the uh, coming up? I mean, is TCU one to watch? Yes, definitely. Um, we're really excited to get out there and race. We've been working for it for over a year now. So we're really excited and we'll definitely be a team to watch. Kennedy, oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I have goosebumps. <laughs> I'm excited for like collegiate triathlon. Like, yes, we're excited it's always too. Up when we get to talk to students. So yeah, it's such good work that you guys are doing. Thank you. We'll be sure to link to all of your social media uh, so that everyone can follow. And then we'll also be cheering for you this fall season. Thank you so much for, for talking to us and teaching us more about NIL deals. Of course. Thank you for having me. So Alyssa, I did confirm with Kennedy that her first NIL deal was with Olipop. Have you had Olipop? I haven't Haley, but <gasps> now I'm going to go run out and get it. I feel like, do they sell it at Target? They sell it I feel at- like they probably do. They sell it a lot yeah. of like stores here in Bozeman. Cause I am a huge fan. Okay. Like I am a, I'm like a, I am like a, like beverage connoisseur. I feel like in a way I love, like, I am like, you know, marketers dream because I love trying all the new drinks. Um, you know, hydration is important, but I really, really do love Olipop and I've done some taste tests, you know, on different kinds of these like probiotic sodas. Mm-hmm. And, um, I really do love the root beer Olipop. Um, and I also like ginger lemon, which is, you know, if you like ginger and then when it's really hot, sometimes I think it's like a tropical flavor. So when I'm like really doing hard Ironman training, it's like nothing better than to come in from a hard workout and like crack an Olipop. So I'm excited that they're also supporting, uh, you know, student athletes like Kennedy. Yeah. Yeah. That's so fun. I definitely, I'm going to have to go try it and then I'll have to tell Olipop that I'm only trying it because of Kennedy. Otherwise I might not have, I seriously, you know, this is how it happens. Yeah. Yeah. It does work. And it's, it's, I'm excited for these NCAA athletes that are able to hopefully earn some money while they're in school. And, and also, as we mentioned, you know, maybe like learn some some goggles. Yeah. Buy some goggles, but like learn practices that if they do go on to be professional athletes, they have this like platform already. And it's going to make that transition so much easier. And, um, I just think that these are kind of exciting changes and, and, you know, I'm also very excited about the NCAA women's triathlon season coming up this fall. Cause it just gets more exciting each year. Yeah. All really good things. So thank you to Grace and Kennedy for chatting with us about this. And again, all the links to, uh, donate and everything are in the show notes. So Haley, I hope you have some Olipops in your future this week. Yes, I, I do. I have, um, you know, training with, uh, the post-race rewards always, but Alyssa, you have a great week too. And I'll talk to you next week. Bye Haley. You've been listening to the iron woman podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. 
Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Lydia Russell and produced by Ella Natitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.